0: Well, I was telling uh, Brian and and the tech guys here, uh, the fourth Sunday of Advent, the fourth Sunday, or the Sunday before Christmas, is one of my favorite uh, Sundays of the year, right behind uh, Easter, and boy, just want you to know uh, from my heart to yours, I miss seeing you uh, on this day, and yet also really glad uh, that we can connect in this way. Well, as we uh, move into and lean into our teaching time this morning, let me ask you uh, to do a favor for me. Just go ahead and put in the chat there, name your favorite Christmas movie for everybody to see there in the chat. Just take a moment. Uh, Christmas movies are fantastic. They're wonderful. Um, And I can't even list a Hallmark Christmas movie. Can you, Brian, can you name one? Brian, I can't name a Hallmark Christmas movie, but there's a lot of great uh, classic ones out there. When I was... uh, Trying to think of mine, I had to actually. I had to go with two. I had to my modern one. I had to go with uh, the Grinch, uh, the one with uh, Jim Carrey. Uh, that's a a great uh, sort of version of that great Christmas story. And then also for the old school though, I went with A Wonderful Life. Um, and I wonder how many of you guys went to that. Hey, Michael, mute me just for a second if you don't mind. Excuse me had something caught uh, in my throat there. But old school, uh, wonderful life is a great, great movie, and, and how could it not be? I mean, who couldn't love uh, George Bailey there? George Bailey was a guy who, who really lived his life for the sake of others. When he was just 12 years old, he saved his brother from drowning and lost uh, part of his hearing uh, in that uh, moment. Uh, when he was about to go to college, he had to stay back because his dad died, and he stayed back so he could run the family business, and the family business uh, was his small town building and loan, and he, he dedicated his business to helping poor people uh, move out of rentals and into homes of their own, and George was this fantastic, he was this great business guy with one exception, he always led with his heart, and he would go the extra mile for a customer, even uh, if it cost his business, even uh, if, he, if it meant he was just going to hang on by a thread from a business perspective. Well, he was doing fine until one fateful day. A mistake by his Uncle Billy was going to uh, ruin the business, and he was going to lose it. And as stress mounted, those of you who are familiar with the movie, George started to lose heart, and he started to wonder even if life was worth living. That is, until an angel named Clarence helped him to see what the world would have been like without him. And then as the the movie ends, he comes to his senses, but there's one problem. There are bankers there actually waiting for him at his home, ready to take the family business, ready to, to foreclose. And then all of a sudden, you probably saw the movie and you remember this scene, all of a sudden, people from the town just started coming in. And they poured into his house right there uh, by his Christmas tree. And on a table, uh, they just started putting down money. And some would put jars of coins. Some would just pull, uh, pull bills out of their pocket and put them up there. And all the townspeople did this. Even the old, mean old bank collectors, if you will, uh, contributed and tore up the note. In that moment... George Bailey felt what many of us feel, or many of us long to feel. We, he felt his worth as a person. He felt loved, and he realized what his, this, the value he had to others around him. Well, today we continue our Advent series, A Weary World Rejoices, by considering this very idea of what it means to feel loved, what it means to feel valued and of worth. My favorite line, perhaps, in the song, O Holy Night, goes, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till He appears. And then these last six words. And the soul felt its worth. And the soul felt it's worth. Jesus appears, he comes in the form of a baby, and in so doing demonstrates the extraordinary love of God. This morning as we edge so ever close to Christmas day, I would like for us just to spend a few moments celebrating the love of God that was so wonderfully captured in the two most famous verses in the Bible, John 3:16 and John 317. Let me read them again for us. You heard them in our Advent reading. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And the soul felt its worth. I want you to hear this morning, if you don't hear anything else, that you have infinite, extraordinary value before God. What is it about God's love that we celebrate this time of year? The first thing I want us to see is that God's love moves toward us. God's love is initiating, for God so loved the world that He gave You know, gift-giving protocols dominate this time of year. How many people do you include in your gift-giving efforts? What is the price limit? If they don't give to you, do you give to them? And let's not even get started on all the protocols around re-gifting. Hey, that would be a a good poll in the the chat. How many of you have been the recipient of a gift that has been re-gifted? And maybe some of you may be bold. To even put how many times have you re gifted a gift, Brian? I'm sorry about that. No, anyway, <laughs> um, but what I, I did, I don't think I, I maybe I have re gifted you a gift, I don't know. Anyway, one of the beautiful aspects of God's love is that there are no limits, no games, no protocols when it comes to God's gift to us. All throughout the Christmas journey, we see God moving toward us, and God initiating god initiated when he gave zechariah and elizabeth a baby boy john the baptist who would prepare the way and initiate the way for the lord god initiated when he assured joseph in a dream that he should take mary to be his wife god initiated when he sent gabriel to tell mary that she would be the mother of jesus god initiated and announced to the shepherds that he was born do you see a pattern here do you see a pattern of God not only initiating his love but moving heaven and earth to show us his love? Well, there's more. I mean, Matthew's gospel opens with telling us by telling us as he opens that 14 generations, 14 generations led up to the coming of Jesus in the world. God was busy at work orchestrating the giving of this gift, and there's more. Jesus was born in a time when, the, when Greek was the language most frequently spoken all around the world. It was the closest thing to a universal language, sort of like English is today. This made it possible for the message of the gift of Jesus to move beyond its regional origins. Jesus was born during the Roman peace called the Pax Romana. The Roman peace was a blessing to the Mediterranean world. For most of human history up to that point, the world had been at war. But because of this peace, it made it easier for more people to hear about the gift. Imperial roads were developed. This made it easier for the news of the gift to travel. What am I missing? Some might say the end of the story. Well, there's no end to how much God loves you and how carefully, lovingly, and intricately He worked and weaved His sovereign, initiating love and grace to the world. John said it plainly, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This amazing, initiating love of God is not just a love that we read about at Christmas. It is a love for you today. God's love is not a love that stopped with the completion of the Bible. God's love moves towards you even today, even this morning. As Brian mentioned earlier, 2020 has been a hard year. Many of you have experienced incredible pain. Some have felt the pain of losing a loved one. Others have had your own health concerns. Some have felt the cold ache of loneliness. Others have felt the worry of trying to make ends meet. Through it all, through it all, in many of my conversations with many of you, I hear a common theme. Folks talk about the sustaining grace of God. And how God has provided. God's sustaining grace in your life. I I want us to get this this morning. God's sustaining grace in your life and in my life is an example or it's a demonstration of His initiating love. God goes before you each and every day. And God goes before you. God knows what you're going to experience tomorrow and God goes before you into that day, and God then gives you all that you need to stay faithful, all that you need to experience His love and His grace. He gives you your daily mercies each day. That God may not give you Friday's mercies for Monday, but He will give you your daily mercies and daily grace for each day. And by God going ahead of us, and providing and sustaining for us, this is an example of the initiating, moving towards you love of God. Some of you right now may be experiencing God moving toward you. You may feel God stirring in your heart to draw you closer to His side as we start this Christmas week. That is God's initiating love. So we celebrate this initiating love. This is what God has for us to draw us near. But we can't read this famous verse without also just lifting up the sacrificial nature of God's love. He gave His one and only. How many one and onlys Do you have think about that for a moment matter of fact if you want to list in the chat what's something you have that is a a one and only you know we use this designation one and only in two ways one and only can mean you have just one but more are available for example we have just one tree behind me that's our one and only tree this year in the sanctuary but within minutes or well maybe hours we could have another two or three up. And so it's used that way. It's the one and only. It's the only one we have. But there, it's used another way as well. As in the one and only, this is it. This is the one. There will never be another one like it. And there never was. I have a, a few of those one and onlys. So Hand-me-downs from my parents. I've got my, my mom's one and only cast iron skillet. There'll be another one that she cooked with. I've got her one and only uh, uh, burnt gold 1970s colored Tupperware sugar bowl that we used all of my uh, childhood growing up that she gave me before uh, she passed that I really wanted to have. I've got my dad's one and only Bible that was left to me. Many of you have one and only's in your life. Jesus was God's one and only his love was so deep for us that he parted with him he gave him he sent him and to the earth to die for our sins his son the exact representation of his being showed us what sacrificial love really looked like didn't he and this is why he journeyed to the cross to die for your sins and my sins. This is why his journey to the cross is called the passion. And while he fellowshiped with God the Father while he was here on earth, while he had communion with God the Father while he was here on earth. We even read in Scripture about that moment when he was on the cross, when he was forsaken by the Father. And in that moment, you feel both the pain of Jesus and the pain of the Father as his one and only was released and given, and the sins of the world were upon Him. Love is always expressed. Love is active, and it is not passive. So what do we do? What do we do with this initiating, sacrificial love? How do we respond to such an extravagant gift? We open our hearts and we open our minds, and we receive this gift by believing in him. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't trust or you didn't believe in? I once saw on YouTube a practical joke a daughter played on her mother, and she uh, produced for her this incredibly official-looking letter uh, that she had won a million dollars in a lottery and had the little lottery ticket and everything going with it. At first, she was really excited. The the YouTube video went, and then the daughter uh, let her in on the joke. She didn't believe anymore in that gift. John says that God so loved the world, He gave is one and only. And that because of this gift, we are not condemned, but we have eternal life. Right in the middle of that declaration of love and right in the middle of that promise of eternity is a requirement. In order to receive this gift We must believe. This idea of belief almost always raises a question for us. Is believing in Jesus enough for salvation? Is believing in Jesus enough for salvation? Typically, when people ask this question, they're looking to satisfy some sort of minimum requirement. In other words, maybe this would be paraphrased, is believing in Jesus and His existence enough. When the Bible speaks of saving faith or saving belief, what does it look like? Well, it looks like believing that God is as Jesus declared Him to be. Believe that God loves you. Believe that God wants to forgive you. And believe that God wants to be reconciled with you and spend all of eternity with you. It means believing that Jesus is who He said He was. The Son of God. And trust Him. And put your confidence in Him to lead you through this life and through all eternity. You believe this is why He came. To save you from your sins. And to show you how to live. Believe that you are who the Bible says you are. You are incredibly loved and incredibly valued by God. You have immense worth to God. And you and me and everyone else also has a sin problem. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We need Jesus. This is what saving belief, saving faith looks like when scripture talks about it and then we stake our lives we stake our lives on that belief you count the cost of following Jesus and no matter what the cost is you say Jesus I believe you are worth it jim dennison was is a retired pastor and he once wrote that while he was a summer missionary in east malaysia this young lady came up after a worship service one morning and expressed that she wanted to be a Christian and that she wanted to be baptized. And the church was also gathering that evening. They met in a warehouse, and Dennison said, sure, we'll baptize you this evening. And so in the warehouse, they, they had this sort of makeshift uh, baptistry with this big tub. And, and uh, as Denison was about to baptize her, uh, he before he got into the tub, he walked over and he saw an old uh, set of luggage leaning against the wall. And he asked this person, Whose luggage is that? And the person looked at the lady, the young lady who was about to be bab- baptized, and said, It's hers. Her father said if she ever became a Christian, that when she left home, she could never come back. And so she packed her bags to follow Jesus. She staked her life on Jesus. That is the belief that John was talking about. Jesus is worthy of our faith and belief. And we respond by packing up our bags and being willing to go with Him wherever He leads us to go. Jesus believed our souls were worth dying for. We respond by telling him we believe he is worth living for. And the soul felt its worth. God loves you and has gone to incredible lengths to show you how much you're worth to him. And the soul felt its worth. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for Your love. Thank You for loving each and every one of us by giving Your one and only. God, I pray this morning that we would each open our hearts to You in a fresh new way. Come, Make Your home in our lives. And may we live, may we stake our lives on You so that we, O God, may live as recipients so that we may live worthy of the love You have given us. In Jesus' name, we pray and we ask. Amen. Go in the love of God. Amen.